Welcome to the Think Like a Musician podcast. This show will teach you the time management skills you need to be joyful, productive, and fulfilled in all areas of life. You're going to learn a completely unique and innovative approach to managing your crazy, busy life. I'm a lifelong musician, so you're going to hear a musician's creative and intuitive system for time management and work-life balance. We'll discuss time management, work-life balance, goal-setting, inspiration, creativity, peak performance, and living your purpose. I want to help you live your life like it's a masterpiece. I'm a life coach, professional speaker, productivity expert, and your host, Scott Snow. We have a very special guest. Merit Minimeyer is the founder and creator of Master of One Coaching. She is a highly trained educator, facilitator, and performer, and brings over 20 years in business, education, social justice, and the arts to create unique and specifically crafted programs for the benefit of each client. Before discovering coaching as her calling, she graduated with a BFA in acting from NYU Tisch School of the Arts, and later with a master's in humanistic multicultural education from SUNY New Platz. A published writer, she is an avid live music fan, a voracious devourer of books, a joyful traveler, and calls anywhere near the ocean her happy place. Above all, she enjoys facilitating inspiration and positive change and is thrilled to support others who are hungry for growth and transformation and to contribute to the health and wealth of the world. Master of One Coaching is Merit's dream come true. Merit, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. I'd love to hear about your company, Master of One Coaching. Absolutely. So I am the founder and creator of Master of One Coaching, which is a leadership and executive coaching practice. And I specialize in scrappy startup founders who are seeking to transform into powerful leaders of purpose-driven movements. So essentially what that means is I'm really specifically uh, looking for that spark in a founder who has a couple of years under her or his belt, uh, are seeing some success, are seeing some opportunity for growth and or experiencing the growth, but are still doing and it's funny that your your uh, podcast is called All the Hats because I often say that they're they're wearing all the hats. They're they're scrubbing the toilets and they're making the coffee and they're also doing all the hiring and they're also doing all the branding and they're doing all the sales and they're also vacuuming the floor, right? That's right. <laughs> um, and so what I work with them on is learning how to evolve into holding the space as a leader making really sound decisions based in the ethics and values of their business. And as a person with uh, a lot of experience and history in social justice work, my focus is really on the social entrepreneurs who are marrying a for-profit model with purpose-driven work. What are some of the common challenges that a typical client of yours might be struggling with? That's a great question. So. Certainly the all the hats problem. <laughs> How do I get from feeling like I need to do everything or thinking I need to do everything because I see the need for it to 
letting go of some of that and kind of breathing into this new space of leadership. That's the main one. Um, and then from there, there are so many different facets of that question, right? There is um, certainly how do I hire effectively? How do I know who to hire? How do I know how to train them effectively? How do I find the time to create the culture of a business in a, in a company community that I know is going to be sustainable long term? that will be do right by the legacy I want to leave. How do I manage all of the overwhelm? Because I think I, I want to make the coffee because I like that coffee, right? <laughs> I want to make the sales because I want to make sure that that client understands exactly what they're getting. And I don't know how to communicate to a sales team what it is that I mean, you know, what mm -hmm. it is that I really want to deliver. So, um, and, and so there are lots of small small questions and bigger questions that go along with that sort of umbrella of how do I evolve into this, into this leader. Um, and, you know, being a founder is not the same thing as being a leader. It really, there are, there's so there's entirely two different skill sets and mm. entirely two different mindsets. Um, you can certainly do both. And also, by the way, you don't have to do both. So how, you know, like a founder and usually entrepreneurs that start a, an idea, they're super passionate about it, of course. And so how do they translate that to their staff and their team? Because it seems that no one is going to compare, is going to love your company as much as the creator. So how do you do that? Well, it sounds a little cheesy now these days because we talk about the why so much. But uh, I've actually had a call the other night with... Um, Ivan Meisner, who is the founder of BNI, Business Networking International. And he talks about, uh, you know, no one's going to care what you know unless they know that you care. Right. And it really starts with creating the culture of a, in your business community, the ethos of a business community within the, the actual business where you're taking care of your people. That It really has to, you know, Richard Branson talks about that too all the time. You have to take care of your people to let them take care of the business. And that is ultimately your role as the leader of a business. It is not to make the sales. It is to create the environment in which the people who are making the sales believe in what they are selling and what they are offering and believe that they are also valued in their role in doing so. What is your opinion on an entrepreneur who is very passionate, uh, but struggles with sales? Mm -hmm. uh, um, speaking of someone I know very well, um, <laughs> and, um, and then of course that the argument is that, you know, really you should uh, improve your skills as a salesperson and promoting your own ideas, but also, is there a time when you should just say, well, I need to have hire someone who has that expertise to take that over partially. Um, so that's, there are many layers to the question you just yeah. asked. Let me see if I can I pull it apart a little bit. So it, as, a, as a solopreneur, right, you're just starting out as a founder, there are definitely skills that you need, that one needs to hone in order to make those first sales so that you can create some revenue for your business and grow it. And or invest in some way, whether it's, you know, and I don't love the idea of getting loans right when you're starting because I think there's risk involved that maybe is unnecessary. However, some people need to do that and decide to make that decision and that's okay. So if you feel like sales is not your thing, then it's really important to invest in yourself and or your business in a way to get that revenue going, because that's going to be the lifeline of a new business. 
Mm-hmm. You can't do anything else without revenue, right? So right. now having said that, the next question I would ask is what about sales is tripping that person up? Right. So is it the fear of rejection or? Right. right. And then there's coaching we can do around that. Mm-hmm. So, and there, there are definitely processes that I have that I can lead a person through working through their, is it, you know, nervousness? Is it, is it assumptions that I'm, I failed before, so I'm going to fail again? What do I need to support me in my next, you know, do I, in my next attempt at selling? Um, what is my mindset around selling? What are the skills that I'm using or not using? Um, how am I approaching it from an energy standpoint? That is to say, what kind of, what, what am I, what kind of decisions have I already made before I even come to the table? And what kind of decisions do I make after I leave the table? So if it is it all my business is based on this one sale, it's, it's not, no matter what it is, it's never that one sale. So, you know, then we need to just kind of work on the approach. We need to work on the skills. We need to work on the mindset, all of it. And, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, we'll come to the conclusion that that client's that the client that I'm working with can at least make some progress there on, on the sales piece until they can find the, the time or, or the resources to bring somebody else in. Now, when I said before about you don't have to do, you don't have to be a founder and also the leader. You, you know, I have clients who, I have one client, I think of in particular, who actually inherited the business from his father. And he has tremendous talent in his field. Like he is an absolute superstar in, Hmm. in what he does. He is not the head of the company right now. He's one of three or four partners, two or three partners. So he has made that very conscious choice to say, I don't want to be leading everybody because I'm really good at this thing. I'm so good at it. (laughs) Right. And I want to be among the decision makers, but I also need other people in the, in the business to do that with me because that's not really what I'm best at. What I'm really best at is this one thing that I'm super talented in. And so, and I know that that drives revenue more than anything else. So I'm going to bring in other people who can, who can fill in those gaps and then we can work together. Um, Like I said, you don't have to be the CEO of the company you found. You really don't unless you want to be. And then, you know, and then we can work on that too. I know you're very involved with BNI. uh, So what are some of the benefits of being in a supportive networking group like BNI? Well, right now, especially, right, when we all feel kind of isolated, not kind of more than kind of isolated um, mm. from our communities, and whether it's BNI or whether it's another kind of network, you know, chambers, certainly I'm also on the board of my local chamber. Um, I've been involved in other regional chambers. I'm involved in women's groups. I'm involved in entrepreneur groups. And I just stay as active as I can because, well, ultimately, I mean, going back to the sales thing too, you know, people do business with people. They don't do business with products or services. They, they can get a product or service from, from lots of places. Why are they going to, why is it you the difference? And you are the difference because of your relationship with that person, whether it's a new relationship or an extended relationship, or maybe as a re- referral based relationship, somebody else vouches for you. Um, you know, if I have a choice where I can go to five different places and get the same service, if I'm going to get a referral from someplace, you know, and say, boy, that, dentist is a really, really good dentist. And I really had a great experience with him. I'm going to go to that dentist because my, somebody I trust said that they were good. And so what doing any kind of network is going to help you build that no like, and trust, no like, and trust <laughs> credibility. Um, 
I mean, that, and that's a big part of sales too, is just, you know, just being credible and being out there and having people associate your service or your product with, with you. That's great. Let's switch gears a bit on to productivity. Which app, software, and technology do you rely on most for your personal productivity and the productivity of your team? That's a great question. So I will say that I'm pretty simple in my productivity. Uh, I keep it very simple. I'm not, I, I like things to be clean and I like things to be um, manageable. I don't like a lot of complex stuff. So I've worked with, I work with Google, Google Suite. It's easy, QuickBooks Online. Um, Trello is my, my sort of project management go-to. Um, and then with other organizations that I'm in, uh, I've used Slack, which has been helpful. But I try to keep it as simple as possible. And um, so a lot of the Google Suite, um, Google Sheets is something that I rely on a lot because I just, I just don't do a lot of complex work in that way. I just like to keep it very streamlined and easy to, to manage. Okay. Besides your occupation, what are some of the other hats you wear? Oh, well, that's a good question too. <laughs> so I am, <laughs> well, let's see. I am a mother of three wonderful boys. Um, all adopted, all with some special considerations, uh, developmental and otherwise. Um, so, and we are a multi-racial, multi-ethnic family. So um, that I have a, I mean, I did, did before I would became their mom, but uh, has definitely increased and deepened my relationship with being a, a, an advocate for social justice. That's a big part of my life and my work. Uh, I'm a partner in that my husband and I, um, I've been together, we're celebrating our anniversary next week, our fifth anniversary. Oh, congrats. Thank you, it's very exciting. I am certainly a daughter and a sister and a friend and a community member. Like I said, I'm very involved in, in several efforts. I like to volunteer my time a lot, um, even in this virtual realm. What else? A uh, part-time yogi. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, well, I'm always I, curious. I'm a homeowner. I did all these things, so yeah. Wow. I'm curious about how do you go about um, managing all these different hats you wear, different roles? Do you find that you um, have to change what you're presenting with all these different roles? Are you uh, concentrating on kind of being the same on all your roles? Is there a transition you need to go through? For I love that question. That's a really great question. And the reason I love that is because I work on that with my clients all the time. Wow. So, so it takes a lot of energy to maintain the persona, personae, personae, <laughs> multiple personas of, of being one place at one person at work, one person at home, one person with friends. Right. And some of that we can't always help because um, of just how psychology works and we slip into roles that we're used to. Right. We often do that. Like an example I use a lot is when we go home for the holidays and you're like, you're going to slip into the teenage you because if you left your house when you're a teenager, some, some part of you is always going to be 18 years old with your parents. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, so, and there are ways you can work on that, but that, you know, if, if, there, if we're not conscious of that, we can easily slip back into those roles. And also I think that a major source of overwhelm and stress for people is having to manage these different quote, personalities, end quote. Hmm. And one of the things that I work on a lot with my clients is congruence. Because it's so much more pleasant <laughs> to be who you are, wherever you are. 
And I know that I found it to be exhausting when I was going through, you know, I was an actor and part of being an actor is learning how to be adaptable, but adaptability can have a shadow side in that you're, you know, you're showing up for people the way they want you to show up rather than really who you are and start to do some mental and emotional gymnastics around, you know, what do they want me to be? I think especially as young people, we do that. And so I actually just had a great success story with a client recently where she, I, it was so awesome. I got to celebrate this with her yesterday because we've been working together about six months. She's pivoted from going to a job that she just absolutely, she was really struggling with this, like very unhappy in her, in her role. Really. She was a leader in the, in the organization, but just was just banging up against a lot of different struggles and feeling like she wasn't really herself and she didn't really know who she wanted to be. And she had all these different interests, but she felt like they were all kind of just like a, you know, kind of, a step or two away from her and we've come to this place in the last six months where she's decided to start her own business and she's you know not in her job anymore and she's creating her own business and she's feeling so excited about it and she said very casually yesterday she said well I think I'm going to make this decision because it feels most authentic to me and I went did you can you just say that again because <laughs> do you remember six months ago when you felt like you didn't even know who you were right in relationship to your work and now you're making decisions solely on the criteria that it is authentic to you. Like that's huge. And it's so fulfilling. It's so fulfilling. So yes, I can't exactly remember the, the seed of your question, but <laughs> set yeah, me in this tangent. <laughs> whether we change, whether we change between all these different roles. So yes, we absolutely do change if we're not conscious of it. And it will, it, is so much more engaging and it, we feel so much more successful when we can actually be who we are, wherever we are truly to ourselves. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying about all this. It's also making me think of, you know, maybe it's that we become different shades of our self sure. with all these different, but they have to be a shade that you're comfortable with. Like it sounded like your client was not comfortable with what she had to present as being her self at whatever right. job or with whatever person. Right. Interesting. And so, and a lot of, so what I do is, uh, what I, is basing what's called core energy coaching. And so we look at these seven levels of, of energy that show up in leadership and, and that's kind of a different version of the question you just asked, which is how am I showing up in my energy? Hmm. So this energy, we all experience these levels of energy and I can go through that. Well, you know what? I, I went through that training. Uh, oh, I, didn't, did. I didn't get the final, you know, I didn't finish the very end to get the certification part, but I went to the, full day training. Okay. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So you went to the, um, the ELT. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's awesome. So, so be able to understand what's a, what is appropriate. I don't mean polite, but what, it, what is matching the circumstances and what's, what's most needed in the situation. Right. And that's not the same thing as changing your personality, right. Or having a different face. That's just really just, what do I need to bring up in myself? that's going to be most useful right now. And you it's a much what? more in, uh, in, intrinsic process, right? Trusting your gut. Right. That um, being at that training made me think about how people's responses to what we say, that they're really filtering their experience into what we say, and mm -hmm. they're making it part of my uh, reality. Mm -hmm. And vice you know versa. I mean? Yeah. Like you could just say, you know, any basic thing and, and your intentions are just good and they could just take it, you know, the wrong way. But that's nothing that you can control. That's from their end. That's their right. energy take on the situation. 
Yep. And we all have those tapes and tapes is like an antiquated. <laughs> we all have those playlists. I don't know yeah. <laughs> the modern version of that, but uh, the messages that play in our mind, right. Based on our experiences and, and the, and the programming that we got as kids. And right. Yeah. Like for example, uh, sometimes at like the grocery mart or whatever, you know, I'll chit chat with the cashier or, you know, something like that. And there was something I was saying something about, uh, you know, babysitting uh, my niece who she was, you know, being wise. And she, you know, I said, well, you can't jump on the couch anymore. And she says, oh, you're not the boss of me, which <laughs> my intention of saying that little story was, you know, just a little kind of light fun, you know, like uh, kids, you know, at that age, you know, but a lot of people I find will go, oh, kids these days. And they're really serious about taking it negatively and like that it means so much more than, you know, what the original intent was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a great, perfect example of, you know, everybody has their own version of, the, of their reality. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, you know, I, I was impressed with your Instagram. You know, I was, I saw pictures of your son at five 30 in the morning, uh, hitting it at the, at his little desk. Yeah, so it was my desk. <laughs> oh, wow. He's bumped you up. <laughs> he did. How do you balance that? You know, like uh, I often try to get my sons to, you know, to be more organized with, you know, the time management and, and, but it always seems to come across as being, you know, nerdy or like you uh, immediately get the reaction. Ah, oh, come on, you know? So how do you, you want your kid to do that, but in a way that seems they have to be ready to do that. So how do you balance that? Well, I, I will come clean and say that that was, um, he was watching YouTube. <laughs> so he wasn't doing any work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we pulled the curtains back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but, and to be fair, he actually is, uh, you know, being a sixth grader at home right. is a much different thing than it is being at school. And he has actually done a really good job of making the transition and, you know, not perfect. And he, he struggles with attention and he struggles with sitting still and, and, um, you know, being distracted by YouTube and various other things. But, mm. but on the whole, he's made a really good um, transition to being a sixth grader at home. And, and he does, he's pretty diligent about his work. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, you know, just like anybody else, we've got to let them be who they are and, and get their yayas out and, and also remind them that they are in our human body that needs that needs exercise and it needs to be outside. And, and that's, it's, as a, those things are hard to uh, remember right now because, you know, I think that the tendency is to be sedentary. Right. Um, right. So for kids who are having to be in front of screens all day and then they, you know, their social, my kids' social life is a lot of like through their video games because they can talk to their friends online. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, I don't have the magic answer for that, unfortunately. Right. But we and just I think also, I think also they're, um, they're seeing you do things like they're seeing how you conduct yourself with, you know, getting up early in the B&I meetings and how you're organized. Yeah. And, and I think that stuff, you know, whether they're showing it right in the moment, you know, I can tell that they, even my right. sons, it's, you know. It's always, it, it, it gets in, right? It gets yeah, in. And they'll, right. they'll, I mean, I can still think back to, I actually often cite my experience uh, growing up with my parents they had a design and build firm growing up. My father was an architect. My mother ran the business and did the interiors. And, and uh, I just, just yesterday was on a call with the, um, my local chamber. Like I said, I'm on the board there. And we talked about the importance of community, the business community. And I remember going, you know, my parents had a, an, an office on the main street of town. And when there was a business that would open up, we would go to the ribbon cutting or we would go to the little cocktail hour was, and I was eight, eight 10 years old. 
And I just, that's part of my experience. And so I don't think about that every day, but it really has shaped who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I have hope. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that they will also pick up on those things too. That's right. Yep. <laughs> How do you approach goal setting and goal attainment? Mm, for myself or for clients or both? Well, uh, yeah. How about a little of both? I will say that I'm not as good at it at setting at, with myself. That is, I'm not, I haven't formalized as well with myself as I do with my clients. And, mm. I, and I actually have my own coach now that we're working on that because I've done a lot of big idea thinking. And so now we're working on plans to get there. With my clients, we start first on what's driving them to do the work they want to do. And we look at the big vision, you know, where do you want to be in five or 10 years or whatever where, you know, I have one client who is 36 and we call him, you know, 46 year old. So-and-so. <laughs> um, he hasn't, and we might name him different than his, his uh, first name. But anyway, we talk about, okay, what does 46 year old you want from you right in this moment? Because it helps to reverse engineer the plan right? It also helps to listen to that instinct. It connects that version of myself that's in the future. It connects that person with my, with my in, intuition, mm-hmm. um, how I want to make decisions and what, what would feel best to me, to me as the client, to what path would feel, feel best to me. So I can make decisions thinking backwards instead of forwards as, okay. it, as if I already have the knowledge and I'm coming back and I'm looking the other way. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, holding him in that space. Yeah. I often find people that are a little bit confused with, you know, what what a life coach is compared to like, they might just say, well, I've got a best friend I talk to all the time. So what would be the difference between having a a best friend that you talk to or a good friend and a coach who is trained? Yeah, so that's a great question. So coaching came from um, the sports and from the arts, right? And when we're looking at athletes, especially elite athletes, you know, they're not going to their best friend to say, how, how can I run faster? How can I, how can I handle my breathing more effectively? How can I get the extra, you know, 10th or 20th of a second in the race? Or, I mean, I was a gymnast as a kid, so I, I watched gymnastics a lot still. And, you know, they're going to their coaches, not because they need to learn the skills. I mean, they certainly do need to learn the skills, but they're going to their gym eight, 10, 12 hours a day and working for the, with a coach at least half that time so that they can fine tune, they can become that much more elegant, that much more precise, that much more effective, that much more reliable. So when they're under pressure, they, their skills are there for them. And that outside eye of a coach is not just to be your best buddy or even to be a sounding board necessarily. It's really to hold your goals and your vision for what you believe is the most excellent version of yourself and then you know, your business in my, in my case, it's you know, leadership and executive. So I'm looking at high performing people who want to be even more high performing and more reliable in their higher high performance. Right. So, mm. um, there is a, my, my friend has a daughter in the, in the service and she told me recently about this, you know, this idea of we don't rise to the occasion. We sink to the level of our training. Right. And what a coach does is keep you trained up you know, in your, in your excellence, in your sound decision-making, in your uh, managing of yourself, in your managing of your other, of others around you, in, um, in your maneuvering through your, your 
daily life, your work life, and in your personal life too, because hopefully it's the same. Like I said, the same person isn't isn't walking through every door, right? So, mm. so when you meet with an individual, what are some of the possible things you might talk about in the first few meetings? Well. It depends on the person, certainly. Yeah. Um, the very first thing I do is I walk them through the ELI. So you have familiarity with that. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Energy Leadership Index is an assessment that each of my clients take, and I'm certified in that assessment. And it's not a personality test, but rather it's a, a, it's a snapshot of where you are as a leader today and where you'd like to go, how you'd like to grow in your leadership abilities. There is no one set of skills for a leader. Anybody can be a leader who wants to be so long as they're committed to it and they want to grow. And so what that assessment does is looks, looks at what are you bringing to the table and then how you'd like to develop. And so all of my clients start there. And then that gives us a foundation from which we can build your coaching agreement program. And it usually tells us things like, I'm really good at showing up um, in a service capacity but I tend to get overwhelmed a lot. And when I do that, then I tend to shut down or I'm really good at collaborating, but I get very frustrated if the other person doesn't hold up their end of the bargain. And so I don't know. And then when that happens, then I kind of lose my steam and I let it go. Or um, I know I have bigger ideas, but I'm, I, I tend to be hesitant and afraid to really push myself out of my comfort zone. So that's, you know, those are kinds of things that people are asking to work on. They're all, I mean, and sometimes that it takes a while to get to the essence of those questions. Mm -hmm. It often shows up in having a hard time communicating with my staff. I have this staff of experts and they should be filing all, all cylinder, cylinders and they're not. And I don't know how to get them to do that. And usually it comes down to a more personal, something internal. Hmm. Um, Is that, it usually um, difficulties and struggles that people are coming up with in the sessions? They're probably focused on the what's preventing them, right? Right. Well, what they're coming to me initially with is I have a vision and I want to enact it. Mm -hmm. And then the next question is what's keeping you from enacting it? Right. So um, the better we get together identifying those things, the better we can get at moving through them and, and building skills around moving through them. Some of our listeners are also coaches. And I noticed that you're, uh, you have the accreditation of ACC, Associate Certified Coach mm -hmm. for the ICF, which is the mm -hmm. International Coaching Federation. What was required for you to get that certification, the ACC Associate Certified Coach? Oh, boy, you're going to... You're going to test my uh, memory here. <laughs> oh, and really, I'm just kind of saying, was it worth pursuing, you know, for, for getting more opportunities and jobs? And, and, and I'm hearing that corporations want to see that um, the ICF certification or at least the ACC. Yeah, 100%. It absolutely is worth pursuing. Uh, it not only because I felt like it was what corporations are looking for, and people are getting more savvy now that they're understanding to be able to discern more specifically what they're looking for and what it means to be an accredited coach. Um, but also for me, I wanted to make sure that my skills were sound and that just like what a coach does for a client and keeping, you know, keeping their excellence finally tuned, I wanted to make sure that I was doing that for myself too. Mm -hmm. And so it allows not only for me to say, I have this certification and I have the skills that you need, but I also know that I have the continuing education units that I have to make up. So I'm keeping on top of the, the what's happening in the industry. And furthermore, you know, there's a lot of what I'll refer to as chatter um, about, you know, licensure down the road. And um, I actually initially, uh, 
pursued a career after my acting and then I kind of went through nonprofits and I went for a while down the road of mental health counseling and I didn't finish that degree for personal reasons, but um, I got to be a part of the accreditation program for the program that I was in and they have a, a top tier accreditation program that I was, I got to be on the panel for and it was really fun. And what I learned from that is um, that licensing is, is a quite an ordeal. Mm. And also I live in New York state and if we can, if we can create more <laughs> red tape to go through, why, by golly, we're going to do it, New right. York State. So if, the, if and when licensure becomes an inevitability, um, and as, you know, lobbying for coaches uh, grows and, you know, hope, you know, eventually people would like to, you know, maybe put it on insurance or some other, make it more, even more of a thing that people can access more readily and maybe more uh, financially accessible, et cetera, licensure is going to become, you know, more of a demand uh, according to what the sort of industry trends are. So being an ICF certified coach streamlines that process because they're the ones that are going to be at the forefront of that. Because I think the general public also can consider sometimes life coach or any kind of coach as being, Oh, well, you know, I'm a coach too. Like we're all, they don't see that uh, those skills and those requirements that are put in that make that difference. Right between yeah. uh, someone who's just listening to someone else and someone who has uh, honed those skills. Right. I mean, if you think about it in terms of like, you know, social workers have been around for a hundred plus years, right? More, more than that. And then we had psych- psychiatrists and then there was psychologists and psychiatrists didn't like psychologists at first because it took away the medical model of it. And then yep. we had counselors and, you know, and social workers and counselors and therapists, you know, so all these differentiators. And for a long time, counseling wasn't um, licensed either. And then that became a thing because it was set, you know, it became its own kind of industry, like pocket industry and in within the greater therapeutic umbrella. And I think the same thing's going to happen with coaching too. Let's switch gears to speaking. You're also a speaker. And can you tell us about your program? Choose well, choose wisely, choose love. Sure. So what I will tell you is that that's uh, founded, the foundation of that is in my personal story. And so if I may share a little bit of that story. Of course. All right, great. So the story goes that I, as I mentioned before, I grew up um, as a performer from a very young age. And I uh, started from the age of like three. And I was also a, a local competitive gymnast. And so I had a lot of like performing going on in my life. And I followed that through all the way through college. I, I moved from Northern California to where, where I was born and raised to New York City to go to attend NYU college. Graduated when I was 20 as a professional actor, right, ready to go, and found quite pr- readily that I, though I loved the collaborative process, I loved creating with peers, I loved the sense of uh, inspiration and telling stories and connecting with audiences, and all of that I really enjoyed, and the industry was just not a great fit for me. Mm-hmm. I had some difficult experiences and I just thought, you know, I just don't think this is the right industry for me to be in, but I didn't know what else to do because I didn't do anything else. <laughs> I started so early and this is all I knew how to do. Mm. So I had a mentor when I was working at an off Broadway theater called the American place theater in the uh, times square of New York. And I um, had a mentor who was running the education department there. His name is Paul Fontana. And he said, Hey, have you ever thought of teaching? And I was like, oh, maybe I, I like working with kids. And he gave me the opportunity to become a teaching artist. And so I started really um, diving deeply into that world of becoming a teaching artist. And that 
slowly helped me identify this passion for using these creative outlets and mechanisms and interventions to help young people first and then ultimately adults later to cultivate their voices, their sense of self, and dream of a life for themselves that they didn't necessarily think of as possible before they had mm -hmm. you know, come into contact with these practices. And I guess I started out um, working with at what was you know, termed as at-risk populations. And, um, and I followed that for a while. And I uh, moved to Seattle with my husband, Peter, who got married in 2000 and um, did arts and theater outreach there and kind of toured all over the country doing leadership development through, but it didn't call it that at the time. It was really you know, doing arts intervention work. And then through a, a series of circumstances, found myself back in my hometown working for actually my, my own high school. And I was in the student services department um, as assistant dean of students. And so there I was doing academic advising and then actually officially leadership development, student government, working with the student leaders to develop their um, goals and programs for the year, their academic achievements, uh, working with their families to help them kind of walk them through their secondary education process and into college and beyond. And I really just was getting more and more focused on this leadership development piece. I was like, wow, this is, this is really interesting to me. Like what makes a leader, what makes them effective, what makes them passionate? So uh, my first child was born about when I was in that job and uh, all three of my children are adopted, as I may have mentioned. And my mother uh, got remarried and moved back to her home state of Texas. And my father um, decided to move to Portugal and so we were left without any family support in the town we were in. So we decided to go to Buffalo, which is where Peter's family was. Peter's family um, is a big, big family, very dynamic, very connected. You know, we had Sunday dinners and, and happy you know, birthdays together and all that. So we became very much part of this, this community in Buffalo. And while I was there, um, I got to work for an organization called the National Federation for Just Communities. And that is a what I'm going to call a social, social justice organization, um, really looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, and human services uh, through that lens. And so I jumped right in with uh, becoming a facilitator for kids programs. And then it really became officially this leadership development piece and transitioned not just from kids, but also into higher education for college students, corporate lawyers, um, schools and districts, working with teachers and administrators, working with um, the sheriff's department, uh, elected officials, um, the federal government, you name it, we got to work with them. And I just, that sort of evolved over time. In the middle of all of that, and I also went into school to get my master's in um, mental health counseling. And also in the middle of all of that, uh, our twin boys were placed with us through the foster care system and they had a high level of need, as I mentioned. And so our life became very, very complicated very quickly. Right. A year into that process, my husband, Peter, was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Hmm. And so we went through that process of him uh, going through chemo and radiation and ultimately deteriorating. And he passed away a year after, a year and change after his diagnosis. And uh, the night he died, I got an email from a colleague and friend who was also helping Peter through his caring care process and uh, she had the last words that he ever wrote for me and that was 
2 a.m. and I was sitting on the cold linoleum floor of my sister-in-law's kitchen where he had had his, he had collapsed. And the words on the email were choose well, choose wisely, choose love. And I didn't know what to do with that information at the time. I really, I sort of shook my fist at the heavens and I was like, what do you mean? You know, right. I didn't, didn't really know what to do. Um, two weeks later, I finalized the adoption of my twins and it took about a year to really figure out exactly what I wanted to do. I, I, I knew I needed to move somewhere else. I needed to kind of restart our life as a foursome. And so I found the Hudson Valley and fell in love with it and um, found myself a house. And there are other parts of the story, but suffice it to say, I, I got them situated in the Hudson Valley in their schools and with the right supports and got a part-time job working for a theater going way back when due to my kind of roots, because that's what I knew how to do. And then um, moved to another nonprofit, arts-based nonprofit. And then um, during all that time, I met my husband, Tom, and he has his own story of hitting his own bottom and redemption. And we recognize that in each other. And um, so we, we hitched our wagons together mm. and we decided to, um, you know, create our family together in this new place. And so we did that. We bought a house. We got everything, you know, that he adopted the children. And in that moment where things kind of felt like they were, all right, everything's normalized and stable. I remembered those words, you know, what does it mean to choose well, choose wisely, choose love for me in a professional capacity? Because I'd never felt like I had found the quite right thing. Like I was always close, but not quite right. So I looked way back into my performance history. I looked back at creative collaboration. I looked back at helping people feel empowered and envisioning new futures for themselves. I looked at um, teaching, loving teaching, um, loving working one-on-one -on -one with people, you know, doing coaching for actors and, and, and auditions and being a director. Um, certainly the social justice piece, the piece, the facilitation piece and the leadership development piece. And it all kind of came into this one moment where I did all this research and found the word coach. I didn't even know it was a thing. <laughs> mm. And I found it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I do. I do that. Right. And so I was using those six words as please let this help me navigate so that I, well, I will know it when I see it. And I just kept repeating that to myself, choose wise, choose well, choose wise, choose love. And so I then found IPEC, which you know, and um, just let those, that mantra lead me, you know? And so I could feel it when I walked into the room my first day of training. I could feel it when I made the decision to be a coach. I could feel it when I first got my first client. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm born to do this. Hmm. And who knew? And and that's still how I conduct myself. If I'm with a prospective client and I don't feel like this is choosing well, choosing wisely and choosing love for them or for me and or for me, it's not the right fit. And so that it really is how I navigate my whole life. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. It, it seems like it doesn't always happen so clearly as it did for you, but... It did. <laughs> well, you know, there's, I would say I, I, I'm a storyteller. So remember that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, I, find, you're I have fine tuned that story so that it yeah. can be concise in the telling, you know, right. there's certainly more uh, tributaries to that yeah. 
to that river. <laughs> you actors always have a little step ahead, uh, the secret sauce, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's almost not fair. Well, uh, we're almost at the end here. This has been such a pleasure. What's a hobby you enjoy that most people may be surprised about? I picked up knitting a couple of years ago. Okay. And that's not something I ever did before, but back to the Mets. <laughs> when, I, when I met my husband, he, he stole, he can't even believe he actually said this to me when I met, but he said, eh, sports aren't that important to me. It's okay. I don't need to watch all the games. Uh-huh. <laughs> we watch a lot of Mets games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, I like baseball. I like sports. I have nothing against it, but I, I don't have a passion for it like he does. So I thought, well, I can either not see my husband for 162 games or how many ever it is, <laughs> or I can sit there next to him and do something that's going to keep me occupied. So I learned how to knit. And, that's uh, great. and that's, so that's, yeah, I enjoy it. It keeps me sane. It's good for the brain. It's good for the, you know, eye-to-eye coordination. Keeps me creative. <laughs> Merritt, where can we go for more information about you and what you do? So I have a website up now. It is being revamped. And so the new one will be launched in a couple of weeks. I'm very excited, but it's going to be the same URL. So you can go there now and see, you know, get a, how to get a hold of me. The It's masterofonecoaching.com. All spelled out. One is the word one. Masterofonecoaching.com. You can also sketch me on Instagram at masterofonecoaching and on Facebook at masterofonecoaching. And LinkedIn, I'm under my name, Merritt Minimeyer. And um, you go ahead up to my website and join my newsletter. I send out one email a week. I promise. It's very unusual if I send more than one a week. And just keeping in touch with people who want inspiration around leadership and social entrepreneurship. Beautiful. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. My final question is, what's one action step our listeners can take to lead a more fulfilling life? Ooh. Hmm. I like that question. One action step. There's so many answers I have to that. I will say this. What I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, especially definitely in the last six months and change, in the last two weeks especially, I've noticed a significant uptick in stress reactions from my clients and also myself. And I actually had a post about this yesterday. So when we feel overwhelmed, what neuroscience tells us is that if we practice focusing on the things that make us feel bad, we will continue to feel bad. If we practice focusing on the things that make us feel better, we will will start to feel better. And I actually had to be reminded of that from my best girlfriends over the weekend. They're like, remember what you say. (laughs) So very quick and easy thing to do when you're starting to feel overwhelmed and to get you kind of right your ship. If you need some, um, a little bit of positive energy in your, in your life at that moment, is go through a list of five things, at least five things, you can do more, that are going well for you. It can be super small. And I actually did this when I was first uh, widowed as well. I would find the smallest things just to make me feel better if it was like a, I love the color of that flower or that my children's laugh. Or So I did the same thing then that I did yesterday, which was, you know, my husband made chocolate chip cookies and my kids are healthy and my business is going well and it's beautiful fall day and my dogs are cute. Like that was it, you know, (laughs) and it's a, it's a really quick thing that you can do to adjust your mindset in, in a, in a few moments. That's great. Well, I've really enjoyed this Merit. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Scott, for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out and it's been a, it's been a pleasure for me as well.
Visit thinklikeamusician.org for more information on how we can help you and your team with peak performance, time management, and work-life balance. We offer coaching, trainings, and workshops that'll empower you to be joyful, productive, and fulfilled in all areas of life. Visit thinklikeamusician.org.